sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Just in the last hour, slowly watching the temperature creep up ever so slightly. When I came in, it was 30 degrees. Now it's hovering around 33. So I understand you don't want to get out of bed. You know what? And you don't have to. I'm giving you permission to stay in bed. Go and turn the coffee pot on and then scurry back to bed and stay with us until 9 o'clock this morning. Now, I am broadcasting from WSB in Midtown Atlanta, not from the North Atlanta Home Show. That used to be kind of the deal with Walter, and I know a lot of the Master Gardener groups always liked getting there when the doors opened early but for this show the north atlanta home show at infinite energy center this weekend through tomorrow the doors aren't opening early today so you got a little more time to stay in bed and just slowly wake up the doors open at 10 and they're open until seven o'clock tonight and tomorrow's hours are 11 to 5 really a good time and something fun you can check out with the family the north atlanta home show and we had julie heron with us last weekend talking about it so if you want to find out more information you can buy your tickets ahead of time, save a little bit of money, go to NorthAtlantaHomeShow.com. And of course, some of the features that I'm most excited about and that I'm definitely going to check out tomorrow are the outdoor oasis, which just looks absolutely beautiful. Some of the the area in Gwinnett County, their area landscapers just came together to create this beautiful outdoor oasis showcasing some of the very best modern outdoor living features. It will make you jealous. And also the Ask a Master Gardener booth. They're encouraging you to bring all of your gardening questions. And of course, like Walter used to do those Ziploc baggies or cuttings or whatever. You can ask an expert from the UGA Cooperative Extension, the Gwinnett County office, and you can receive free expert advice. And you can also get that here, too, on Green and Growing, 404-872-0750, joined by Mickey Gasway in studio. Good morning, Mickey. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm Thanks great. for coming back. Well, I'm glad to be here. Show number two. Yeah. So I thought that this was really a great show to get you in on because we started off the show at 6 o'clock with uh, a little bit of my experience from the birding class at Pike Nursery that uh, all the Pike Nurseries held, but you taught the one in West Cobb where I went and I spoke to some of your students and people were amazing and had a great time. It was fun. It really was fun. And that's one of my passions is birding. So uh, I was just so glad you're interested. Yes. And so attracting birds to your backyard is really something that beginner gardeners can participate in and learn more about and then it kind of really brings you to the larger picture of creating an inviting environment for them and and an atmosphere and just kind of building on that and I've spoken to so many young people who've new construction homes and things like that that don't have a lot of you know, landscaping, a lot of shrubs and trees and things but just slowly building that up and knowing what to plant in the right place and things but it's so rewarding to be able to attract those birds when, when your area is hospitable, right? Absolutely. And really, the more diverse your landscape, the more diverse your bird population is going to be. So it's really fun. It's, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing for all ages, from young kids to old people. It's a great thing for all of us to So do. I'll tell you how I got started, and I'm curious how you did, too. So I grew up in Woodstock, and my parents were always gardening. We, we have a great you know, home in a cul-de-sac there, and we had a pool in the backyard and all that kind of stuff. So I would spend weekends out with my mom and dad planting and things and always had some kind of bird feeder and, of course, hummingbird feeder out on the back deck. But once John and I were married 
and kind of started slowing down, you know, and not going yeah. out to the clubs on yeah. Friday nights. We started hanging out more with our parents and stuff. We would go up to his uh, his dad and his stepmom's lake house on Lake Lanier and coming and spend, you know, a couple of nights if we'd go up there and hang out and have dinner and things. And they just, you know, they woke up and they drank their coffee out on the back deck. And, of course, it faced the dock and the lake and all of that. But she had some of the most fantastic birds and bird feeders on that back deck on the lake. And John and I just really realized, like, we're enjoying sitting here for an hour or two watching these birds come and go and asking, what's that? What's that? Mm -hmm. You know, and at certain times of year, you notice the more colorful birds and just it catches your eye. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I have I have spent money on some of the best feeders. And Pike has the <laughs> Yankee Doodle, I think, that spins the squirrel off. And so some work for you, some don't, folks. But it is worth a try because yeah, it's so absolutely. rewarding. So um, I do have a photo album on my Facebook page on Green and Growing WSB. That's the Facebook page of just some of the birds that I see and that we can enjoy on our back deck up in northwest Georgia. But what are some of your favorites? My favorite birds? Mm-hmm. Well, everybody laughs because my favorite birds are crows. <laughs> I love them because they're so smart. They got personality. And they I do. can actually, they don't like my husband, but they like me. I can call them and they'll come. And um, I like them because they're so smart. But I love the songbirds, too. I like all the songbirds. Um, I'm starting to see uh, the bluebirds. We're starting to see them pair off a little bit yes. now. And so they're looking for housing. So if you've going to put up a bluebird house you need to do that and of course i love cardinals and i like the chickadees and the titmouse i like all of them now talk about and i asked you this at that class too i'm very interested in bluebirds because Uh the the no mess blend kind of the seeded blend of food that i use really makes the bluebirds happy i don't do mealworms but i could but so a bluebird house are there specifications as to i've heard it, they need to be facing in a different, a certain direction and spacing and open areas and stuff. So where am I going to hang my bird, my bluebird house? Okay. First of all, let me say about the food. They're insect eaters. And so they're not going to be able to eat big, big pieces of bird. They're not going to be able to eat the seed, the sunflower seeds with seeds. They need the, the seeds that are. Yeah, they, they pick up. through. They're, they're the ones yeah. that sit on my feeder and they chunk out the seed they don't want. To yeah, get to the they, seed they, they, want. yeah, they usually don't. But they like mealworms. The dry mealworms are mm-hmm. great for them. And soup. It is really important for those because that's it. But as far as the feet, uh, the where to put the house, the house it needs to be facing an open area, and it needs to be. I would look for one that said bluebird house because it needs a deep cavity. It needs to be six to twelve feet up, and like I said, it needs to be on a sta- a, a post. It doesn't need to move around, and that's the most important thing. And you need to be able to clean it out. My husband and I put up. A bunch of them on the Silver Comet Trail years and years ago, and we'd have to go and monitor them every every week or so. But it, it's really fun to do. It's well, there are some nifty ones at Pike where it has like a latch where you can open That's up right. the side and so be you, able to clean it out. But I was thinking about putting it on a tree. Is a post better? You can put it on a tree, and that's fine. Uh, and if you don't have any cats in the area, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that I would question about that. But it can be on a tree. That's where it would be in real life. It would be on the, in a hole in a tree. They're that's cavity true. dwellers. There you go. 404-872-0750. Really anxious to speak to Lucille up in Ball Ground this morning. You're an avid birder, Lucille. Yes, I am. I love it that you called. Yay. What did you want to share with us today? Well, I had, I had a couple of hints that I had. I'm an older person, so I do a lot of <laughs> cooking, and I have a lot of bread scraps. And oh. I, I take bread and mix it with um, 
often I mix it with, I found that songbirds like it mixed with uh, that songbird mix mm-hmm. uh, seed that you can buy. It's a songbird mix, and it's already shelled. It doesn't have the shells in it much. And I mix that with breadcrumbs, and it makes it go a little further. And I also mix it with sunflower seed, because, and that gets rid of my bread scraps. My husband and I might eat a half a loaf of bread and then not use it for a week, and right. then it's ready for crumbs, you know. So that make, that gets rid of my breadcrumbs right there. So how finely do you, you know, pull apart the pieces of bread? I mean, do Oh, you... I, I crumb it. I, I, with my hands, okay. I just crumb it up, crumble it up real, as, like a... Smaller than as small as a uh, sunflower seed. Okay, and then do you when you mix that with the songbird mix or maybe the sunflowers? Do you just put it out on the tray on the back deck or actually put it in a feeder? I put it in several trays. Okay, you have if you want to attract a lot of birds, you have to have several feeders. One feeder won't attract a whole lot of birds, but if you space your feeders out and have several, you will attract many more birds. They will go from feeder to feeder. And it's amazing to watch them flip from place to place. And ball ground's so beautiful. Y'all are blessed with a lot of trees and just open land. So mm-hmm. I bet you get. Now, what are one of the one or two of the ones you see most often? The most populated bird up there? Well, I see red birds by the dozen. Mm-hmm. Also, the tough titmouse, mm-hmm. uh, the black capped chickadee. Yep. Those are just very, very common. I also see the downy woodpecker. We have those in this area. Those are just the black and white ones, right? Right. Yep. Yep. And uh, uh, songbirds. I have well, brown thrashers, the state bird. I see those. We have those nesting in our yard. And uh, bluebirds also. Amazing. I love that, Lucille. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it is important, like Lucille said. Multiple feeders, but also keeping the feeders full because, especially this time of year, they're looking to store up energy. And it's just devastating if they get used to coming to your yard or your patio and that feeder stays empty for days. They kind of stress out and struggle to go find some other place. So it's very key to keep that feeder full. And once you're starting to get out and about in the yard in the spring and really taking note and doing some cleanup and stuff, that's a great time to clean the feeder. That should be done at least a couple of times a year with just some mild detergent and water. Clean out the insides and out around where the, the holes are, where the seed comes out. Clean those feeders. And hummingbird feeders, very, very key to keep those clean as well. The sunshine will strike the water in the hummingbird feeders and create almost like a slimy mold situation. And that does not take long to come on at all. Plus the yellow jackets sometimes can squeeze themselves in there (laughs) and start to drown in the water. So you'll just always want to open up those hummingbird feeders. And Jason reminded me, which was such a good reminder with the hummingbird feeders, folks, we're still about a month, month and a half away from when you really should start putting those out. But the hummingbird feeders, very easy to make your own nectar. You don't have to go out and buy the fancy stuff. And contrary to popular belief, it does not have to be red. So you just make your own. It's one part sugar to four parts water. That's all you need to keep the hummingbirds happy. So before we go out to break to check traffic and weather, want to do a segment that I'm going to do every Saturday at this time in the 7 o'clock hour, Celebrity Gardener. And I was able to speak this week to a pretty well-known politician here in Georgia. Good morning, Governor Kemp. How are you? Doing great. Good to be on with you. Great to be seeing you. A Georgia native, grew up in Athens. Am I right? That's correct. So I know you've gotten your hands in the dirt before. Uh, many times. We live on a little 
39 acre farm we have a tree farm so we're gardening pine trees in some sort of way and i understand that you love raking leaves tell me a story about that yeah so my uh, leave raking days didn't last long when i was a kid i was trying to make a little extra money i was raking this yard of leaves after the fall season and it was just loaded up i worked all day and when I got to be time to be paid, they gave me $20. And I was like, that was the end of my leave raking days, unless it was for myself. Not even any sweet tea, just 20 bucks and get yeah, out? Yeah, that was it. I figured I could do a lot better than that, cutting grass or doing something different. Than <laughs> Painting fences, amen. So if you weren't governor and you had the time, you're out in the yard, Miss Kemp's out in the yard, what are y'all's preferred things to do, things to plant, being outside? Uh, Marty doesn't like me cutting the bushes back around the house, but I always do that when she's gone better to ask for forgiveness and permission absolutely uh, but we've we've also you know had a little garden at the house sometimes and like most georgians we get frustrated growing tomatoes we'll have one decent year and then one year where nothing works out but it's a lot of fun we live in, on a great place and it's a great state to be outside working definitely bless the two of us growing up in georgia no doubt it's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. Thanks to Jason Byers, my producer, for providing all of the bird-themed songs today. 725, green and growing on 95.5 WSB. Finley Roofing sponsors your weather update today. And, of course, that system is going to be coming in sometime soon this morning, this winter weather advisory that you're waking up to. Already seeing snow up in northwest Georgia as well, so please be careful on the roads today. But this whole event will end after the lunch hour. Some snow, some rain, no freezing rain. That's the good thing. Light snow developing throughout the morning and just mixing with that rain. Uh, some accumulation possible, not much. A high of around 46 lows in the lower 30s, about where we stand now. And a mix of sun and clouds for tomorrow, a little bit better conditions. Highs in the mid-50s and lows around 44. So yeah, stay tuned right here to 95.5 WSB for all of your traffic and weather information together. 404-872-0750. Mickey, we wanted to talk to Michael and McDonough this morning. Good morning. Hey, good morning, lady. Hey, what are we helping you with? I I got a quick question. Mm-hmm. I've got a little tree that started to well, it ain't started. It's been in my yard for some time now, but it looks when it blooms and it starts to put out its leaves. The leaves look just like a magnolia, and the blooms look similar to a magnolia, but they smell a whole lot sweeter. But I say this tree is not probably two foot tall. The leaves on it are probably not more than about three inches to four inches long. I mean, they're little compared to a magnolia and it hadn't grown any bigger i'm just trying to see what kind of tree or bush this is what color are the flowers are they white they're pink they're light yeah they're a light pink and when the blooms first start coming out they're they're a dark pink at the base and a light pink at the top and in actuality they'll start blooming here in the next couple of weeks so a couple of things that we're thinking, gardenia could be a chance, but gardenia flowers are normally white, white. or a rhododendron because that has or, big, wide leaves like a magnolia. I wonder if it could be a uh, uh, Japanese magnolia. 
that like could a, be um, too. Salangiana or some of those that, that have a smell. Google that, Mike. Japanese magnolia. And hey, just wanted to pass along with you guys. This is a great idea. If you have a smartphone, there's a couple of apps for plant identification that are just super, super cool. Picture this is the name of one of them. You can download that. It's not free, but it's a very minimal cost. Or Plant Snap. And you take a picture of a leaf or a blossom. And it'll help you to identify those. So thank you so much for the call. We got to run. Come up on news, weather, and traffic here on 95.5 WSB. You're listening to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca here on 95.5 WSB. I have had weeks in the making of this exciting interview. I want to bring you guys a lot of knowledge and an exciting project as well that you yourself solo can be involved in coming up next weekend or perhaps get the kids and the whole family involved. I'm really happy to be joined by Becca Radomsky-Bish, Cornell Lab of Ornithology up in New York. Hello, Becca. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Really what I wanted to focus our conversation on this morning is the great backyard bird count. But (laughs) give us some background on the great backyard bird count and how long it's been around. Sure. The Great Backyard Bird Count is one of the uh, older running projects at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. It's considered a citizen science project. So for your listeners who are new to that concept, people that us scientists rely upon to help us gather data on various topics. And this particular count is focused on birds. So birds that people see every day in their backyards, on their commute, um, in the city park when they take a break from work. Because scientists can't be everywhere all the time. So we really rely on everyday people to help us understand what's going on in the world of birds. So in 1998, the Great Backyard Bird Count was kind of this great experiment. Obviously, people that are birders love birds. And and we had the question, I wonder if everyday people would get into this and, and send us checklists over a period of four days of the birds that they see. And turns out, people loved it. Um, We we had so much engagement that it actually spurred the development of what has become one of the most uh, popular global tools for bird watching, which is eBird. So Great Backyard Bird Count kind of opened the gateway literally for um, global participation in counting of birds. Imagine the research you're doing in your backyard in Austell or Marietta or out in Loganville. That is all entered into a database and all the information gathered from this four-day project. You're joining people from all over the world, right, Becca? That's pretty neat. It's really exciting. The United States and Canada still have uh, one of the higher participation rates, but India is very close behind that, uh, as well as Canada. Those are two of our growing um, participatory countries, Mexico as well as Central and South America. So yeah, it's very exciting. And it's really the only way for us to get sort of a timestamp look at what's going on with birds around the world. More information can be found online, birdcount.org. And we're doing it this weekend, Becca, because we wanted folks to be on time with the start date, which is next Friday, Valentine's Day. They can participate 15-minute increments, right, anytime from Friday the 14th through Monday the 17th is when you guys are accepting the data, right? 
That's right. We start on Valentine's Day. So for the love of birds, it would be awesome to, to participate that weekend. I'm glad you brought that up, Ashley. It's one of the beautiful things about this project. It doesn't take much time. So literally 15 minutes, one time in the weekend. Um, you can enter the data on your smartphone. You can enter the data on a computer or an iPad. It's very easy to do. Log in and tell us what birds you see. Count as many birds as you can in that 15 minutes. Maybe you'll see two blue jays, four cardinals, three dark-eyed juncos, um, and you just plug that information in, and that's really helpful for scientists that are trying to understand what's going on with birds around the world. And as you're doing this, I mean, I imagine myself, our activity at our feet or hanging on the back deck is where we really have a great view of all of the birds and their activity. So I'm imagining these folks being stationary, right? And they're just keeping an eye on one portion of their yard or maybe, you know, one or two feeders next to each other, not just walking up and down the neighborhood, right? You can do it a couple of different ways. So um, I would say the vast majority of our GBBP, GBBC participants are watching their backyard bird feeders and using those birds as their count. It's also fine to go for a walk and, you know, stop in one location and observe them. So they are stationary counts, but it doesn't have to be just your yard. You could go for a hike and document birds. Um, you could go to your local park and document birds. Um, the vast majority of people are using their yards and properties, but you're not limited to that. Okay, great. So again, folks, birdcount.org, and that will take you to where Becca is saying you sign up for a free account through eBird, and you're able to do that on your laptop or download the app if that's easiest, and that will kind of help you track what you're seeing. So not only the count, the, the bird count there, Becca, but a photo contest, and y'all have resource guides from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology helping with bird identification. So there's, there's a lot of fun resources there that folks can check out. There are. If you love birds or even are just slightly suspicious of them, the resources at the lab are incredible. Um, Merlin is another uh, tool you can download for your phone if you are new to birding and you see something new this week this particular weekend and you want to know what it is, it's a very quick and easy tool where you type in the colors you're seeing, the approximate size, and it will literally spit out um, the, the handful of species it probably could be based on your region. You know, in addition to not only participating in GBBC, you can actually learn and grow and maybe um, get some new birds added to your list. This is all so much fun, folks. Next weekend, the Great Backyard Bird Count, you take 15 minutes, just 15 consecutive minutes out of your weekend, count the birds you see, identify the birds you see, and then Becca on the back end, once this all closes out on Monday the 17th, how is all this data used for you guys? There's lots of different ways that this data is used over time. Um, and before I forget to mention, I did want to say that I did look up Atlanta, Georgia, and you all have about 223 what we call eBird hotspots, meaning there's a lot of people already birdie, birding in Atlanta and a lot of birds that people have seen. So for your listeners who are thinking, I don't know, I don't really see much around here, you actually there is. There's a lot there. So if you haven't taken 15 minutes out to, to take a look, do do that. But in terms of what we do with the data, so once the weekend is all said and done, then we take that data and we crunch it. You will turn around relatively quickly numbers about how many birds were seen, um, how many people participated. Last year was a, another year of growth. We had about a quarter of a million people participate wow. in the count, and almost th uh, three million individual birds were counted around and that's the world. world worldwide. That's amazing. 
Yeah, and we saw more than half of what we know as the total known species in the world. So almost 7,000 species were recorded in just that four-day period. So that's, for those of you that are interested in science and big data, that's incredible information that we can use that really allows us to know what's going on um, around the world in terms of bird populations. So I was actually looking that up for for you all there in Georgia. Your highest year was uh, the year 2015. You guys had almost 4,500 participants, which is pretty good. Last year, you guys had just shy of 4,000. So on my second show here, Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB, I'm going to make a pretty bold prediction, Becca. Okay, I'm I'm ready. I'm going to hope and pray and get you 5,000 people from the state of Georgia to participate in the Great Backyard Bird Count next weekend. Nice. You will blow your record out of the water. I would love to do that. How cool would that be? That would be great. Three billion birds gone since 1970. So y'all have been tracking, you know, movements and things. As far as any bird population nearing extinction or endangerment, talk to what some of the analysis of the Great Backyard Bird Count has shown you all over the last few years. It's the darker side of this work, but it's one of the reasons why this work is so important. Um, When you tell somebody 30% of our birds since 1970 are gone, it's just sort of like it leaves a little hole there in your your stomach and heart. And this statistic was shocking to the highest levels of people in in the building at the Lab of Ornithology. People had no idea. And the way that they were able to come up with this information was to crunch large data sets like the GBBC and to be able to show and demonstrate these declines of different birds over time. And that's total birds. So it's important to remember that not all birds have declined, right? Some have gone high, some have gone low. That's more of a a net count. Mm -hmm. But regardless, the the evidence suggests that birds are in trouble. Things like orioles, meadowlarks, warblers, those are some of the harder hit species. We do have an impact. We have a positive impact when we put our energy towards helping birds. But when we aren't focused in doing that kind of work, there's obvious trends towards decline in bird populations. So I'm speaking today with Becca Radomsky-Bish of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology about the Great Backyard Bird Count, which we would love for you to participate in, all of you, with your families, your children, your spouse, next weekend. And Becca, saving some of their habitats can be our responsibility. There's steps that we can be taking to make sure we keep those bird counts high. What can we do? That is actually where my heart and soul is in the world of conservation. I love birds. I admire them deeply. And I am most most connected to how we all play a role in that work of protecting birds and other wildlife that we have in and around our properties. So for those of you that have space, um, even if you just have a, a deck, really focusing on making that little piece that you call your own home as safe as possible for birds is one of the best things you can do for them. So things like planting native plants. And the reason why they're important um, is actually related directly to bird breeding. So birds during their breeding period, especially songbirds, uh, feed their young um, mostly the larvae from butterflies and moths. The caterpillars that they lay and grow on the plants, they need native plants because that's what they're looking for. Insects are intimately tied to plant communities. And it's all it's all food ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. So in order to have those caterpillars to eat, the birds um, need to have the moths and the butterflies, and the moths and the butterflies need to have the native plants. You can also protect your windows. Uh, more than a billion birds collide with building windows every year. 
birds see like humans, it's often not the immediate impact that kills the birds. Uh. Sometimes they'll actually hit and they'll fly off and they'll be stunned and they might get a hemorrhage and you may not even know and they may not even know until minutes later. So um, it is. It's really tragic and it is something that's pretty preventable without destroying your view. So we have lots of resources online for how to protect those windows. Folks, we all have a responsibility to do that and all of these resources, some of the things that, uh, that I've asked about or that Becca has mentioned, all of that can be found at birdcount.org. A lot of the links off of birdcount.org can get you to a really great list of seven different things that you should kind of keep in mind if you're really looking to attract birds to your landscape. That's a great list you all put together. Do you have any native plants that you're able to discover that some of our listeners may be shouting some out, but any native plants that you would maybe recommend would be a good start? I realize most of your listeners are gardeners, which um, gardeners and birders are generally best friends, if not, <laughs> you know, the same person. Because yes, <laughs> yes. when you're outside gardening, there's nothing better than seeing those birds enjoying your, your work. Um, yeah, probably my favorite, and perhaps your listeners are really familiar with it, is called the American Beautyberry. Yes. Are you familiar with this plant? Yes. Yeah, gorgeous. Any kind of a berry-producing shrub. Cho- you guys have native choke cherries, service berries, mountain laurel, hollies. Mm-hmm. And the reason why berries are so important is because um, your neck of the woods provides an important migration route for birds. And so providing these kinds of plants in your yard provide actually stopover points for birds to be able to refuel to make those important journeys when they're going north and south. So in addition to berry producing, any kind of a nut or seed producing plant, um, any of your flowering perennial flowers will usually produce really beautiful seed heads in the fall. So anything that produces um, nuts, seeds, and berries is going to be a great addition to your backyard. Great Backyard Bird Count. You can participate 15 minutes out of your weekend beginning next Friday, the 14th, all the way through Monday. You have until February 17th. Go to birdcount.org to get started. Sign up for a free account with eBird and away you go. So, Becca, are there any last, you know, parting thoughts that you would like our Georgia audience to know or help you with? I did want to just say that one of those seven simple steps that we are pushing for um, positive impact on birds is actually counting birds. And those of us that are guard nerds and want to get out there and actually do something. I am one of you. I am with you in that vein. But just taking a minute to count them does huge things for our scientists in order to be able to crunch this big data and really understand where are birds benefiting, where are they hurting, and for us to really start to solve the problem of providing conservation measures for birds that are really going to have a positive lasting impact. So much fun, guys. I guarantee this is going to be a great time. And I want to hear your feedback, too. If you participate and take some pictures, too, you can participate in the photo contest as well. But share them with me on the Facebook page at Green and Growing WSB. Well, Becca Radomsky-Bish of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us this morning. Thank you so much, Ashley. Have fun counting birds. Learned so much from my conversation with Becca Radomsky-Bish there. There's going to be more on our conversation on WSBRadio.com on Monday morning. Stay tuned, birdcount.org next weekend to get you prepared for that. Coming up on 750, it's Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slade. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on 95.5 WSB. Atlanta's News and Talk. Here's Ashley. Flock of seagulls. There we go. I love it. 
coming up uh, to, to the 8 o'clock hour here on Green and Growing 95.5 WSB. You want to know about the weather. Of course, it's chilly this morning, currently 33 degrees. We do have a winter weather advisory. Some of that snow already starting to fall in northwest Georgia. Give or take a few hours of it, and then it'll kind of taper off. No freezing rain, thankfully. A high only reaching the mid-40s today, lows in the lower 30s. And then tomorrow, uh, temperature increasing, a mix of sun and clouds. Highs in the mid-50s and lows in the mid-40s. So stay tuned for meteorologist Kirk Mellish's complete forecast coming up. And then also coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, the final hour of the show, Mickey Gazaway from Pike Nursery shares her passion for birding with us. And we're going to give away the weekend prize pack in less than 15 minutes, I guarantee. So now it's time to put you to work this weekend. Green, Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend want to get you outside maybe tomorrow is going to be a little bit better of a day for you than today so controlling english ivy that could be a great thing to tackle this weekend with a weed eater with roundup manual removal once you start pulling it off of the trees or whatever is easiest for you now that you can kind of see where it's taking over that's a good thing to be doing cutting back pampas grass maiden grass if you haven't already done so leave the brown stems about 12 inches high just go with that with a chainsaw a machete, anything you got. It's going to be tough. You got your work cut out for you. And applying horticultural oil to peach trees prior to the onset of bud swell. So that's about now. That's something you want to go ahead and get ahead of and follow the label directions. Look up the publications from the UGA Extension offices on details exactly how to apply the horticultural oil properly. And more of my conversation with Becca Radomsky-Bish, a 30-minute conversation she and I had that's going to be posted on WSBRadio.com on Monday. Monday morning, the complete interview. Just click on demand and then go to Green and Growing. You can listen to our entire conversation. My thanks to her for promoting the great backyard bird count. 7.58 on 95.5 WSB. I'm Ashley Frasca. We'll be back after this. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.